Welcome back to the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, and it'd be great to hear your thoughts and feedback on the show. You can do that on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. However, to the show today, and it's been far too long since we crossed the side of the table to the world of venture, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by an individual who's been on the Forbes Midas list no less than 12 times, Naveen Chadder, Managing Director at Mayfield, who just last month announced $750 million in new funds split across their core and select funds. As for Naveen, under his leadership, Mayfield has raised over two $2.2 billion in new funds, and he's backed some of the best of the last decade, including Lyft, Poshmark, HashiCorp, Cloud Genix, and more. During his career, Naveen has invested in 50 companies, 17 of which have gone public, and 20 have been acquired, an incredible record there. And prior to VC, Naveen was an entrepreneur where he co-founded or led three startups, all of which had successful exits, and one of which was acquired by Microsoft. I'd also want to say a huge thank you both to Tim Chang and Rishi Gog at Mayfield for some fantastic questions and suggestions today. I really do so appreciate that, chaps. But before we move into the show today, I want to tell you a story that I'm sure most of you are well too well aware of. You've spent the last two weeks working on that big proposal. 14 days and 44 cups of coffee later, you're finally finished. The proposal's due by the end of the day, and it's seven minutes to midnight. Here's the problem. When you go to submit it, you find out that your corporate password just expired, you're locked out of your account, the IT team is fast asleep, and the clock is ticking. MoveWorks takes the suspense right out of this story. MoveWorks is an AI platform that lives on messaging tools like Slack and Microsoft Teams. You chat with their AI to unlock your account, to get access to software, to find troubleshooting answers, and more, wherever you are and whenever you need help. MoveWorks understands your request no matter how you phrase it, then autonomously resolves the issue in seconds. That proposal? Submitted within six minutes to spare. Check out MoveWorks.com to see how AI delivers instant IT support to employees anywhere and anytime. And speaking of seamless work there with MoveWorks, you have to check out Cordoba, the leading AI writing assistant built specifically for business needs in mind. These days, literally everyone within a company writes content. And because of this, it's hard for everyone to stay aligned and maintain consistency. With Cordoba, you can customize writing guidelines to your unique brand and get everyone at your company to write with the same style, terminology, and brand voice whenever and wherever they are writing content. For Sasta listeners, Cordoba is providing a 25% discount off the first year of their starter plan. You can sign up for a free trial and get this offer by visiting cordoba.com forward slash Sasta. And finally, we spend so much time lead sourcing, but fundamentally the quantity of leads does not matter unless you can convert them. And one of the best ways to do that is to collect and display reviews from your past customers. That's where Reviews.io come in. Reviews.io not only collects reviews from your happy customers, but it is also able to help you publish these reviews on Google and on your social media platform of choice. Reviews.io is a fully API-driven solution that can be fully customized around your company requirements, and Reviews.io is packed full of useful features, but one that I found the most useful is that they're able to tell me who my most powerful brand advocates are via the Reviews.io dashboard. Reviews.io is used by over 5,000 companies, including Brex, Opendoor, and Carfax, to name a few. As a special offer, Reviews.io is giving one month free, no risk to all listeners. Just use the promo code HARRY, that's H-A-R-R-Y. However, that's quite enough from me, so now I'm very, very excited to hand over to Naveen Chatter, Managing Director at Mayfield. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Naveen, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show today. I've heard so many great things from your wonderful partners, Tim and Rishi. So thank you so much for joining me today, Naveen. Harry, it's a pleasure to be here with you. 
But that's very kind of you. But I would love to start with a little bit of context. So tell me, how did you make your way into the very wonderful world of venture and come to be an MD today at Mayfield? Yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur turned venture capitalist. I started my first company in 1995 while I was an engineering graduate student at Stanford University in my early 20s. I founded three companies between 1995 to 2004, which all had successful exits, including an acquisition by Microsoft and an IPO. I joined the venture capital business as an entrepreneur in residence in 2004 to work on my fourth company. And one thing led to the other, and I became a venture capitalist. As far as Mayfield is concerned, I've been leading Mayfield as its managing director since 2008. And it's been an incredible decade of learning for the firm and me personally. Absolutely. It's been an incredible decade for the firm. And, uh, you know, once once you go into VC, you never go back. So uh, that's very, very interesting to hear. I I do want to start there, Naveen. On a bit of a more macro perspective and where we're at today in the environment, you know, it's a greater time of uncertainty than ever before. Uh, virtually the whole economy is shut down, as Howard Marks actually said on the show. So if we start by taking it maybe by vertical, when looking at the B2B landscape today, what can we expect from the current economic landscape in your mind? So Harry, I'm an eternal optimist and believe company building is a marathon, not a sprint. And crisis is only an opportunity for the bold. While we are in challenging times, I do believe that that some iconic companies will be created and strengthened during this downturn. Two of my rules for the road for building iconic companies are that you have to sell painkillers, not vitamins, and that startups die of indigestion, not starvation. Companies that are crisply able to articulate their value proposition as a must-have and are hyper-focused on a handful of priorities will do extremely well. Specifically, I think areas such as privacy and security, cloud-native companies, future of work as it relates to distributed and deskless workers, next-generation training, knowledge sharing within the enterprise, and sales engagement companies will do extremely well. At the same time, B2B companies will have to figure out how to build, market, and sell virtually in this remote-first world. And here, one of our companies, HashiCorp, is doing an excellent job as a remote-first company as they grew out of the open-source routes and were set up as a distributed company from day one. At the same time, capital-intensive companies will have a struggle with fundraising, and companies which require an on-site visit to customers or a physical installation in person will be the most impacted. I, I mean, I absolutely agree with you there. I'm picking up on one strain that you said, and sorry, going off schedule, but I'm too intrigued. You said there about you know indigestion, not starvation, and I do agree with you normally. I guess my question is, how do you advise companies that you work with and sit on the boards of today when it comes to capital allocation and specifically burn preservation? How are you advising? them today? So first and foremost, uh, we are telling companies, come up with your top three priorities. Secondly, make sure the current cash you have lasts you for another two years. And third, just make sure you have rational growth and just don't focus on top line growth. Also look at profitability. So I think those are the three things I would say uh, we are advising our companies right now. Speaking of that kind of uh, growth there, I am intrigued because a lot of companies that I work with say, you know, so far we haven't been impacted from a revenue standpoint. And I guess specifically for SaaS companies, you know, Mark Seuss has said about beware because it's renewals and it's discounts that will really be affected. Do you agree with Mark in terms of really focusing on the renewals and the discounting and the delayed impact of them? And I guess to what extent do you think they will be hit as two significant factors? 
Yeah, the best place for companies in this environment, whether SaaS or not SaaS, is to invest in building deeper relationships with their existing customers. As they do focus on renewals and upsells, I expect most customers will bring up discounts and it'll end up being a negotiation on a case-by-case basis. Uh, the first quarter of this year was just the beginning. Companies and customers are still adjusting to the new norm. So I think in the second quarter and third quarter, we're going to see a lot of these requests come from customers. Can I ask, in terms of those requests, how do you advise founders who are faced with them? Because we've seen the likes of Stuart Butterfield at Slack offer heavy discounting and sometimes free use of the tool, but that's not always available to startups in the earlier stages when capital is much more precious. How do you advise founders when faced with heavy discounting discussions? Stay strong or be a little bit more flexible? So I would say my feeling always is it's about creating a win-win among the different constituents. So I would advise founders to not take a hard stance, but really understand what the customer pain is and work together with them to find the best solution. Absolutely. And I think there's also you know, many ways that you can make it as a win, like offer the discount, but then you know ask for heavy case studies, referrals, and really kind of make that win-win and give-take scenario. So totally agree with you there. I, I guess my question is, you know, you've also backed some of the most iconic consumer companies of the last decade from Poshmark to Lyft. And so if we kind of switch hats a little bit, what does the current economic cycle do to the B2C landscape in your mind? So first and foremost, consumer confidence is an all-time low and staying healthy uh, for all of us is the number one priority. With the loss of jobs, whether it's 25 million today or it's expected to be 40 to 50 million, definitely there'll be reduced consumer spending. At the same time, we are seeing resurgence of spending on secondhand goods. So sharing economy companies like Poshmark, which you mentioned, are thriving. We have sustainable e-commerce companies like Grove Collaborative. And at the same time, on-demand delivery companies like Instacart and DoorDash are doing really well. I see some new areas of opportunity emerging to cater to the needs of millennials who want to rent things versus owning them. And that urge is only going to go up in today's environment. At the same time, there are new technologies emerging, which will change the way we work, live and play in this new remote first world. You said there about the reduction in consumer spending. Every VC is talking about the reduction in pricing that we're expecting to see. Having said that, there's so much dry powder sitting on the sidelines and there's so many people willing and active to engage in in this environment. Do you think we will see this reduction in pricing? And how are you thinking about that specifically? So my feeling is, right, like in this new norm, there will be an adjustment on pricing and terms. And again, to what I said earlier, what is important is both the founders and venture capitalists look at the situation and take a long-term view to make sure it's a win-win for everyone involved and not take advantage of the situations founders might be finding themselves today. No, I, t- I totally agree, especially in terms of that taking advantage element. Going back, you mentioned some of the companies that, that, that are doing very well. Uh, you know, CACs for the first time in a long time are looking a lot more reasonable. I guess my question to you is here, uh, how do you advise founding teams on how to think through the level of aggression with which they test this new environment for much more reasonable CACs. What's your thoughts on this? So CACs are coming down as marketing budgets are being cut drastically by companies. However, I would caution that this could be short-lived. I'm a firm believer in playing the long game, ensuring you have rational growth and keep an eye on metrics like CAC payback, gross margin, and LTV. Bottom line in my mind is just the revenue growth is not enough as you need to keep an eye on profitability. 
So I would say, take a long view, take a balanced view and do things accordingly. At the same time, rather than just spending on marketing, I think it's a good time to double down on your investment in content marketing and social to build deeper relationships with customers where personalization is key and trust is your only currency. Can I ask, when you look back at your portfolio, as we said, you've worked with some of the best. Who do you think exemplifies this most and what do you think they they did so well? I would say Lyft is a good example doing this. Poshmark is doing the same. In fact, Poshmark, uh, with most companies uh, going down in revenue, in this environment, they actually cut back on their marketing spend and are profitable and making money. So one has to continuously adjust their growth with sides to profitability and adjust the knobs accordingly. I'm so interested. Sorry, you mentioned the knobs there of kind of growth and profitability. Do you think that they are paradoxical? Do you think that they're opposing? Or do you think that there is a balance that can be struck where they're in unison? Because often people say you you lean towards profitability and growth declines, or you lean towards growth and profitability declines. Do you think that they are in contrast? Uh, My feeling is there is a rule of 40 eventually that uh, Wall Street is going to look at where your revenue growth plus free cash flow has to be greater than 40. So one has to find the balance on how much growth do you focus on and what is your free cash flow. And if the sum total of those is greater than 40, you're doing extremely well. So that's where my feeling always is. Take the long view. See what that metric for your business is, which is revenue growth plus free cash flow and converge towards that long-term model. I, I do have to ask, we spoke about kind of pricing there on the VC side, investing in companies. And you know, as, as the times move, many are suggesting we'll see the return of maybe more dubious VC behavior akin to that of uh, maybe many decades ago. Do you think this is fair about the kind of suspicion of the return of dubious behavior? And what do you think we can do to prevent this? I am a strong believer in sticking to your values and demonstrating leadership in both good and bad times. Uh, I can't comment on what other VCs are doing, but at Mayfield, we are always focused on creating a win-win situation for everyone and treating founders with respect and being fair and equitable and not proposing onerous terms, even in today's environment. I believe alignment with founders is the most important thing in our business because people make products, people build companies, and it's not the other way around. My advice to founders would be to careful about giving these non-standard terms as they will stay forever and will come into play in future rounds as well. In terms of those like onerous terms, you know, if we think about first-time founders who aren't maybe so aware of the intricacies and nuances of term sheets, are there specific terms that one should watch out for? So there are a couple. Uh, the first one would be the liquidation preference. We are seeing some resurgence of participating preferred where preferred investors first get their money and then they participate like common shareholders. At the same time, we are seeing terms like 2x senior liquidation come in. And I would say uh, these are just not worthwhile and there is not an alignment with the founders because if you are running a marathon and not a sprint, along with the founders, why come up with such terms? And at the same time, founders should be really careful about giving blocking terms uh, to VCs. Both those terms are going to show up in this environment. Yeah, no, they absolutely will. When I was chatting to Mark Suster the other day at Upfront, he said, we've already seen the return of pay to play. Can I, and he said, actually, you know, it eliminates kind of that free rider problem of someone not reinvesting in the new round, obviously, and, you know, maybe it being fair in some respects. I guess, how do you think about the pay to play element? And how do you see that evolving over the next few months? 
So we are beginning to see this already. Personally, I feel mixed about this as new investors who are proposing this are concerned about existing investors not participating and hence moving them to common stock. So my advice is let's be careful in dealing with this on a case-by-case basis. First, I want to understand what the concern is and then discuss it with the existing board and management team to see if we can come up with a solution to treat everyone fairly and create a win-win for everyone. But if some side has the money and is still not playing, then it's fair for the pay-to-play to happen. But if they really don't have money as an investor and are still supportive and doing everything they can to help the company, then let's be accommodative and do this in a fair and equitable manner. Yeah, no, and it's, I agree, especially on the case-by-case basis. I think it's very nuanced. Post the terms that we discussed there, they're being agreed. Often the, the VC takes a seat on the board and we mentioned some of the companies that you've invested in. You've also sat on the boards of some of the most kind of meaningful companies of the last decade. I guess my, my first question, and I love this one, is like, how have you seen yourself evolve and change as a board member over, over the last decade, Naveen? So I'm continuously evolving because my belief is, right, like uh, dinosaurs never survive in any business. So you are in a continuous process of learning and improving. Uh, So having come into the business as a serial entrepreneur, the most important growth area for me as a board member was holding back on the urge to jump in to solve problems versus acting as a coach rather than being a player myself. So that's what my struggle was for the first three, four years. How do I act as a coach rather than jumping in and start playing? How did you prevent yourself? Because it is such a challenge for more operational minds. How did you prevent yourself from jumping in and play more of an advisory role in those early days? I would say it was very similar to parenthood where you don't do the homework of your kids. And when that triggered in my head, all kinds of light bulbs went on. And then at Mayfield, we do believe in continuous learning and continuous assessment. And that was showing up in my 360s as an area where I could improve and do better. So that's how it happened. It happened based on feedback and certain realizations of what the role of a good board member is. Speaking of the role of a good board member, there's a there's a new generation of VCs and you know senior VCs who are very young. When you think about kind of advising new board members, what advice would you give someone early in their venture career when it comes to joining their first few boards? So the most important thing in my mind is trust with the founders to make sure you're able to build that relationship early with these founders. You need to go beyond the board meeting interactions to understand their mental models and motivation and build personal relationships so that you're in their zone of trust. Once you have that, just great things are going to happen in that relationship between the founder and you as a board member. Yeah, no, I I do agree with you. I mean, speaking of that relationship of trust, how do you create an environment of trust and safety for the founder at the board level? It can be such an intimidating environment, especially for first-time founders who maybe aren't used to it. How do you create that environment of trust and safety for the founder? So this is what I try to do. I spend a lot of time with founders before we make an investment in really understanding their mission, vision, and values. Once we have alignment on those and common rules of engagement, the journey ends up becoming a lot of fun. And I always watch the founders back and I'm there for them first in both good and bad times. So those are some of the things which have worked well for me in over 50 board seats I've held in my venture career over the last 17 years. 
I mean, it's amazing on those 50 board seats. I, I do have to ask before the quickfire, you mentioned there about kind of really spending the time on the mission, vision and values. We've seen a compression in fundraising timelines incredibly over the last few years to very, very short. I think Josh Kropman, the average term sheet for them is nine days from first meeting uh, down from something like 100 uh, five to seven years ago. How do you feel about the compression in fundraising timelines? I would say it's a problem because decisions are being made very, very quickly without people understanding if they're even aligned on values. So my feeling is in this new norm, uh, hopefully uh, you at least get three to four weeks uh, on both sides to make informed decisions. Because at the end of the day, venture and company building is running a marathon, not a sprint. I do want to though, move into my favorite, Naveen, which is the quick fire round. So I say a short statement, and then you hit me with your immediate thoughts. Are you ready to dive in? Absolutely, always. Okay, so what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you entered venture as that EIR in 2004? Uh, I wish I knew how long it takes to become a successful in this business. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, what's the hardest element of your role with Mayfield today? It's balancing my role as an investor, where I'm a player, against managing and leading the firm, where my role is that of a coach. And switching back and forth between these roles is not easy. No, it's not at all, actually. And I don't think many people fully comprehend and understand the fund management perspective, as well as the investing perspective and the challenges of doing both at the same time. So I, I do totally agree with you. Tell me, what motto or quote you most, re- most frequently revert to? It's all about people because people make products. Products don't make people. Tell me, the most recent publicly announced investment, and why did you say yes and get so excited, Naveen? Uh, The most recent announced investment is Nuvia, where we saw a renaissance of silicon coming. Being people-first investors, we made a bet on founders who were responsible for building the microprocessors for iPhone for the past decade and now have a BHAG about building a new processor for the server cloud market to take on Intel. I mean, it's phenomenally exciting. And uh, as I said, it's been an incredible last decade for Mayfield. Naveen, I've wanted to do this one uh, for, for a long time. So thank you so much for joining me today. And this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for including me in this wonderful podcast series, which is helping the founder community and is a must listen according to me. Fantastic to have Naveen on the show there. And as I said, it's been an incredible decade for Mayfield. And if you'd like to see more from Naveen, you can find him on Twitter at Naveen Chadder. Likewise, it'd be great to welcome you behind the scenes here. You can do so on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. It would be great to see you there. But before we leave you today, I want to tell you a story that I'm sure most of you are well too well aware of. You've spent the last two weeks working on that big proposal. 14 days and 44 cups of coffee later, you're finally finished. The proposal's due by the end of the day, and it's seven minutes to midnight. Here's the problem. When you go to submit it, you find out that your corporate password just expired, you're locked out of your account, the IT team is fast asleep, and the clock is ticking. MoveWorks takes the suspense right out of this story. MoveWorks is an AI platform that lives on messaging tools like Slack and Microsoft Teams. You chat with their AI to unlock your account, to get access to software, to find troubleshooting answers, and more, wherever you are and whenever you need help. MoveWorks understands your request no matter how you phrase it, then autonomously resolves the issue in seconds. That proposal, submit within six minutes to spare. Check out moveworks.com to see how AI delivers instant IT support to employees anywhere and anytime. And speaking of seamless work there with MoveWorks, you have to check out Cordoba, the leading AI writing assistant built specifically for business needs in mind. These days, literally everyone within a company writes content. And because of this, it's hard for everyone to stay aligned and maintain consistency. With Cordoba, you can customize writing guidelines to your unique brand and get everyone at your company to write with the same style, terminology, 
and brand voice whenever and wherever they are writing content. For Sasta listeners, Cordoba is providing a 25% discount off the first year of their starter plan. You can sign up for a free trial and get this offer by visiting cordoba.com forward slash Sasta. And finally, we spend so much time lead sourcing, but fundamentally, the quantity of leads does not matter unless you can convert them. And one of the best ways to do that is to collect and display reviews from your past customers. That's where Reviews.io come in. Reviews.io not only collects reviews from your happy customers, but it is also able to help you publish these reviews on Google and on your social media platform of choice. Reviews.io is a fully API-driven solution that can be fully customized around your company requirements, and Reviews.io is packed full of useful features. But one that I found the most useful is that they're able to tell me who my most powerful brand advocates are via the Reviews.io dashboard. Reviews.io is used by over 5,000 companies, including Brex, Opendoor, and Carfax, to name a few. As a special offer, Reviews.io is giving one month free, no risk to all listeners. Just use the promo code HARRY, that's H-A-R-R-Y. As always, I so appreciate all your support, and I can't wait to bring you a fantastic episode next week.